Oh, thank you so much. Oh, you made me see it. Thank you. I, I just, I just want to say, I've never walked into a group um, and dealing with outreach and all this that is just so full of joy and smiles when I walked in this room. And you know, usually it's, it's not that way. But uh, I, I mean, they're nice, but you guys are just a, a, different, a different group. It's just a, such a joy. And I, I just want to, I, I, it's such an honor to have my dad with me here today. We, uh, he was here at the conference, and I just grabbed him last minute and said, hey, could you join us in this session? And like always, he has the most important gift that you can have in outreach, right? And that's the gift of inconvenience. It's a gift, of, um, and that's why we're all here, because we want the gift of inconvenience, and, uh, or, we, or we want to learn how to deal with it. But, uh, and then I have my wife, Caroline, with me here today, and uh, such a major part of the day-to-day operations of the Dream Center. And then in the back, and she'll step in to answer some questions that might be outside of our knowledge, Kelly Bradley. She runs the entire campus of the Dream Center. So everything that happens on that campus uh, she works with the whole structure of programs, rehabilitation programs, all that. And Mary Lee runs the network and uh, oversees the network of the Dream Center. And, uh, and of course, now with the ARC relationship, Tori, who has come in to really kind of help us carry the baton to the next phase of what God has for us. And so we're very excited about the future. We're very excited about what God's going to do in this session. And I, I, what we're going to do is I'm just going to take a few minutes, and my dad is going to open up a second, and then uh, Caroline will share. And we're just going to talk a little bit about outreach. You know, one of the things I just want to start by saying is a lot of people ask the question, um, first of all, what is a Dream Center? And that is, uh, it's a church that was built a little bit backwards. We uh, came to L.A., and my dad, was, we uh, got a building to start for the Assemblies of God to plant a church. And it was one of those churches that was a few weeks away from dying. Um, it was almost, it was almost a, a church that would be sold. We stepped in to try to save it, and we really didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it. We just moved in the direction of salvaging that church. And so when I got there, um, everything I tried to do to build a typical church didn't work, and uh, we were left with nothing. I mean, not even a worship singer, a, a band member, nothing. All we had was a desk that we moved on the sidewalk, and a bag of groceries, and a phone, and that's where the ministry started, right there. So now today, we house close to 800 people that live in our building every day in our hospital that we purchased, a big old hospital on the Hollywood Freeway, about 800 people that live there. Everyone, There's a B-roll right there. Everybody lives there for free, and it's been taking 25 years to get to this place of getting all this done. But uh, we have 275 people in drug and alcohol re- uh, rehabilitation program, homeless families, homeless veterans, emancipated minors, human trafficking victims, just all these people who live in that building every single day. And so it's taken us 25 years. And I think the secret, the one secret I just want to share that I, I really believe that God has given the Dream Center. So we are a place that gives people the luxury of time. Everything that we do at the Dream Center is built on the luxury of time. That's why we don't get too discouraged if we um, in the ministry uh, about what is next, because we've given our life to the city. We've made a, a full commitment to give everything that we can to the heart of Los Angeles. And so um, the biggest mistake I made in ministry when I first started is I had a passion for everything and wanted to start everything overnight. And I've learned very quickly that there's, uh, if you want to reach your city, you find one need and you do it well. And you do it with excellence, and you move on to the next. But every program that we do, whether it be the, the feeding programs, the mobile food trucks that go into the neighborhood, which has actually been duplicated by um, John Siebling, who's actually done that even better than us um, over in Memphis. But everything that we do is geared towards showing up and investing long periods of time into neighborhoods. 
in communities that have a lot of distrust, a lot of communities that wonder if you're going to be there from week to week, although we love big outreaches and big, you know, concerts and things like that that we do, and we still do those things, but if we do those things, it's usually to launch what we really want to accomplish, and that is to always be there and show up in the neighborhood, because this is what we've learned. Whoever shows up the longest and the most consistent uh, in, the, in the community will win the battle of influence. So you have to earn the right to be heard by doing a lot of simple, ordinary things, by committing yourself to the luxury of time and giving yourself and the neighborhood the joy of God's people showing up uh, in the community. When, I, when I, we first started the, the ministry, we had Adopt a Block where we had two people, we adopted one neighborhood, one little block. We knocked on the door and said, what can we do to serve you? And uh, we started going and fixing things in people's houses and, and uh, just showing up every week on Saturday, just visiting the homes. Most of the time, people would say, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Once in a while, they would need something. But we just kept showing up to that same block. And then the second block and the third block, and it began to grow. And now all the rehabilitation programs that we operate uh, free of charge, um, they're one year and with a second-year option for housing and things like that. So they're actually two year, up to two-year programs. Because one thing that we've learned is, is people who are in circumstances of poverty and need and hurt, they typically try to hustle for ways of survival. And if you take survival out of the element, when people don't feel the fear of trying to do whatever they've got to do to make it happen, they can take a deep breath, go get their GEDs, get their lives together. Um, that is what we have found has been the secret of crime dropping 73% in our neighborhood is everything that we do is built upon that long-term investment into being so a part of the community by showing up every week that in a, in a subtle type of way, you start changing the atmosphere of the community by having a message that is more consistent, that is longer, and that stands the test of time. And so I think that's been the greatest uh, commitment we have made to the community is not to do everything at once, but to just gradually build over time consistent programs that meet the need of the community around us and then launch another program before long, you know, we're finding those needs and filling it and finding a hurt and healing it. And so I know I've learned from my dad for years is that um, is the only way to break that. When I came to L.A., I thought I had to be relevant. I really did. I mean, I thought, man, I got to speak like the neighborhood. I got to talk like the neighborhood. I got to understand it in order to reach it because that's what I was told in school, that you got to understand the demographic to reach it. But, which is helpful, and I think it's good. Some people already understand you've already got an advantage, but I hadn't had that advantage. One thing that I realized the community was looking for, they were just looking for someone to stay, to stand the test of time, to show up, to outlast the liquor stores, to outlast the pimps, to outlast the drug dealers, and standing, learning, and growing, and finding people that can relate in the community as well. It's not necessarily all about being relevant. It's about being revolutionary. And God said, I want you to build something beyond. Um, and so we've realized that not necessarily in the neighborhood I could relate, but one thing that we could do is, is that we could show them something they've never seen before, and that is a lifelong commitment. And I realize with the tremendous privilege that I've had, and I have much like Joel Osteen said today, with the great privilege God gave me, he spoke to me, he said, the reason why I've given you two generations of great pastors before you is because I've given you responsibility and to use all the resources, all these great pastors here, like Pastor Jonathan Wiggins, one of the dearest friends you've ever had in ministry, 
And all these friends and family that we have, God spoke to me. He said, use it to give a voice to the boy who's up against a police car being arrested, who has no one to stand for him. Use it for the prisoners that need a place to go. And Kelly will tell you, in one month, we had 40 people that were sentenced to the Dream Center instead of a 10-year prison sentence. Much of the, um, by the, by the judges for one year in the Dream Center. Much of the prison reform that you've heard that just passed, man was coming to my church by the name of Van Jones. Many of you seen him on CNN, Van Jones. Politically, I don't agree with everything that he says, but he showed up to my church. He kept um, uh, shaking my hand, the back door, and I said, man, are you Van Jones from CNN, that, the anchor on there? And he said, yeah, I am. I said, man, thanks for coming to church. And he come down, worship the Lord at the front, hearing testimonies, and he was sitting there listening to the testimonies at church of all these guys in rehab giving their story, and he realized that there's a pulse that comes from the house of God, from the people of God of redemption. And he started going back and talking to the Republicans, and then they started uh, the Trump administration and Van Jones, they all started working together, and the Prison Reform Act was passed by hearing stories of change from the local church, because we know them. Staying the course of time, st thank you, staying the course of time and outlasting everything has been the message. So whatever programs you start and whatever the need in, in your community, and one thing about this session we don't want to do, we don't want you to think that the Dream Center is a perfect model, but one thing that we understand is you have needs and passions that are so different maybe than our community, and, um, and just to step out, believe you can, and make an investment, a long-term in investment is the most powerful message that you make in the community. So the one great secret of the Dream Center is to do a lot of things and never stop visiting those communities and stay rooted in those places and develop the luxury of time within your programs. Time breaks down so many walls as it helps us to reach communities for the glory of God. Well, I'm just along for the ride, actually. <laughs> This was not a session that I was involved in. Since I'm here, Matthew said, come on, Dad, come and help us a little bit. But I want to tell you the real key that I see. When we went over there, it was tough at first. I mean, very tough. You have to realize that the Dream Center, well, the church, actually came out of the Azusa Street Revival. Our church was the first church that was built out of the Azusa Street Revival. And then Amy McPherson, her great ministry at Angel's Temple, when we joined together, which, by the way, was unheard of in our denomination for the four square and the Assemblies of God, which were somewhat crossways, this brought them back together, and it brought unity. And I, you know, I found out in the inner city that in the inner city, there's not a lot of competition among pastors. Right. You know, pastors sometimes are competitive. That's a secret you didn't know, isn't that right? <laughs> But there's something about people that are reaching, hurting people and social needs. They're pulling for each other. They're, they're sharing food. They're sharing ideas. They're sharing. And I believe that's the spirit that I felt when I walked in here. Honestly, yes. the nicest people I've ever met in my life are people that are building dream centers. People like you, because you care about the hurting. So when Matthew went to L.A., it was tough. I remember one night he called me and said, Dad, come over. I, he just said he was just a little discouraged. This guy's never discouraged, but he had a, kind of a blue moment. So it was Sunday night after church. I got on the plane, flew over there. I had to go to Las Vegas to change planes. Lost all of my money in Las Vegas. And 
Just kidding, all right. And I arrived about one or two in the morning, and him and I walked around the building and the blocks. And we walked for a long time just praying, asking God to see us through. And this man, I heard him preach, and it really touched me. He preached on placing yourself in another man's world. And that's what he did when he went to L.A. He put himself in another man's world. And he said, I'm going to make their music my favorite music. I'm going to make their language my language. And he learned Spanish. I'm going to make their holidays my favorite holidays. He celebrates all the South American holidays with him. He said, I'm going to make the sport they love the most, soccer. I'm going to make it my sport, my favorite sport. (laughs) And he used to go to some of those games against Mexico. And that Mexico crowd's the roughest in the world. How many know what I'm talking about? They threw water at him and everything else when he stood up for America because there's always more of the Latino community there than there was uh, the other community. But he made it his world. His little girl, his little boy, he raised them in that world. And oh, by the way, when you do that, blessings come back. His little girl right now, you might have heard if you've looked at his <clears throat> communication, is one of the top distance runners in America, literally. As a sophomore, she has one of the best times in America, not just California, but America. So this is what I want to say to you. Through the years, people have said, well, I don't, I've heard preachers get up and preach. I don't want to win the world, win the world and lose my kids as if that was a threat. Listen closely. If you love God and his work and his kingdom, and if you put God first in your life, that doesn't mean you're going to neglect your children. If you put God first, your wife, he will say, love your wife as I love the church. And what what woman would not give that up because Jesus died for the church? And what woman wouldn't be married to a man who would die for her? This man has given his life to the church, but he's a family man. And I don't want to hear this business, but I don't have time. If you don't, you're a bad manager. That's all it is. We are able to manage our life to have more time than we're actually using to get the job done, to be with our family. So don't give me that baloney. Amen? No. Manage your time. And this man, and one of the, and I'm going to shut up here. The spirit of Joel Osteen has come upon me. Amen? But one of the greatest challenges you will face when I'm asked the question is, was the greatest challenge. And the greatest challenge was the financial challenge. You stop and think of the Dream Center. We have, he said, nine, 800 people living at the Dream Center. Nobody pays. Have to be fed, clothed, housed. Human trafficking alone. A lot of people, when they hear about human trafficking, oh, they get teary-eyed and they want to do it. They want to reach out to these poor little ladies. But let me tell you, you should never start a ministry because of the burden. Right. Because the burden comes and goes. About the time that you have a gang member like Matthew did, put a gun to his head and say, I'm going to kill you and then kill myself because I'm dying with AIDS and I want to make a statement for AIDS. (laughs) The burden goes out the window. How many of you know it? But the call will keep you going. When a gang member gives you a half of a peace sign. Amen. (laughs) 
And I'm not talking about the one-way sign either. Amen. I'm talking. The burden will go, but the call of God will keep you. And the greatest challenge that I think we face is a financial challenge. How do you keep 800 people clothed, housed, $900,000 a month it takes us to run the Dream Center? And if you'd ask me where the money comes from, I don't know, do you? Some, a fish, a fish is mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said to me the other day, are the kids there selling drugs to support it? I thought, well, I never thought of that. <laughs> Amen. Uh, this is definitely a street ministry session. Yes, yes. And what happens here stays here. It doesn't leave. You know. <laughs> so you've got to make a commitment financially. And I just say this, not that you should do this, but Matthew and myself for the last 25 years, We've gone out and spoke at churches. And if we've spoken at your church, you know. We asked them to, if they would just receive an offering, the pastor would receive an offering and sign it to the Dream Center and send it there. Some places it's not appropriate at that time, so they want to give you an honorarium. Well, take the honorarium. You make it out, send it to the Dream Center. And for the last 25 years, both of us have done that. I'm not saying that's the way you should do it. But God will give you ideas. In our case, we invited pastors to come mm -hmm. and speak at the Dream Center. We gave them a tour. We didn't ask them to support it, but they just caught the burden. And many of them, it's been the pastors of America. We've taken laymen. This guy gives tours almost many a week. He's told the story at the Dream Center so much, he's got to be sick of telling the story. But he keeps telling, and you that's what you have to do. When God gives you a vision, you got to keep telling it and telling it and telling it to everybody, telling it to everybody, tell it to everybody, let them know what the need is when you tell them what it is. And then God will provide provision for the vision. And I haven't got any magic wand. I know what Matthew's doing this week. You all know how I ran across around the world. You know, I ran from Phoenix to L.A. when I was... 60 years of age, that, that's uh, 365, excuse me, it was uh, 436 miles, and I did about a marathon a day for 19 days, but was walking and running. This maniac did it around the world, amen? But he was able to raise a million six hundred thousand dollars and almost killed him, but he did it. And this week, I'm going out there to, I'm going to do one hour, but what are you doing this week, Matthew? Uh, shooting free throws for 24 straight hours, as well as the whole LA community. We're going to make 52,000, which is a good fundraiser for you guys. 52,000. Uh, find out what the number of homelessness in your city. Decide to shoot free throws for 24 hours and get your whole community to come out and do it together. So it's going to be a really cool campaign. Uh, yes. By the way, if anybody would like to support Matthew on his free throws, yes. we will not we will not argue with you. Amen. Thank God. We will not. <laughs> But uh, he's, he's doing that. He did that before mm -hmm. and raised 750. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, it was a million, two million, yeah, like two million yeah. three. Right. One man gave him a million dollars. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, through God will provide vision for the vision. I told that dream and preached at churches, and some of them I got $1,000, and some of them I got over 100000 you know. But you just tell the dream, and God will supply that dream. But there is provision for the vision. I found out years ago that 
you never have the money to start the ministry. You start the ministry. Money follows ministry. You get the vision, and God provides vision. You know, uh, one of the, th- the questions people ask me the most when I preach on the road is when you, um, you know, what keeps you going when you put so much investment in people's lives and they go eight months into a rehab program and they walk out the door, you know, obviously we can't hold anyone into the program for a year and they leave and, or if you just kind of feel, start to feel unappreciated because you're giving and giving and giving. Um, what my dad taught me years ago is, is just do everything that you can in your life unto the Lord. And whatever you get from man is a bonus. So never live for the bonus. It will come and bless you more. But do everything you can unto the Lord, and then you'll stay in the ministry in some tough neighborhoods year after year. Yes. And uh, so I just want to encourage you. When you when, the hardest thing to do in, in ministry, um, especially urban ministry, is to get started. I mean, if you, if you don't know where to get started, go to your local elementary school and ask them what they need. If there's anything that you need, we'll step in. And just start from there. And, and just don't be afraid to step out and meet needs even though you feel like you don't have all the answers. Get the best plan that you can together. Get the best minds that you can if you have a heart to reach out and then just go and never get tired of telling the vision and learn and figure it out along the way. And so Caroline's going to speak. Then we're going to ask Kelly to... Uh, yes. Before we get to that, some of them wondered how they can start. You'll say, we have no building. We have no provision. Let me tell you how... We- one thing you can do, you can buy a house. And when you get drug in, people say, open up that house. People will give you houses in town. Some of them give away if they know what you're trying to do. And put somebody in charge of that house to take care of those people that are coming out drugs. I know a guy did that. And then he also found it needed help girls that were coming out of human trafficking. Someone gave him a house for that. And he put a lady in there. And he had a second one. He ended up with about seven houses. Every time he found a need and people were saved and came out of them, he rehabbed them in one of those houses. And he had seven houses with different needs in every one of them. And we eventually did that before we had a dream center. And we ended up, what, 16 houses, 14 houses. And that's what we did. When they got saved, we put them in a house. So you can start smaller. You know, ARC has all kinds of dream centers. I think the local place here, they have a one for doctors. Yeah, they, after school. But there are many ways you can. And I want to hear from Caroline, but I had to cut in jig. Yeah, you know, when I, I went to Bradenton, Florida, and I saw uh, Pastor Bizet's Dream Center. It was unbelievable. It was, but they, their whole thing is after school. And their one great passion is to do after school programs very, very well. And and I was there, and I, and I was just in, inspired what I saw there is, you know, when you come to the Dream Center in L.A. and you see, you know, the housing component. So every community is different, and housing might be the thing that you're really interested in, and we can tell you how to do that. Um, or it might just be other type of thing, feeding programs, outreach programs. But God's going to give you a pulse for your city in the way that it relates to your community. And so Caroline's the one who knows everything about what really goes on in the Dream Center anyways. But. Um, well, Thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for sharing our passion and seeing ministry in the same way. Um, and it's just so exciting when you're in a group like this to know how much God is doing and how much God is speaking to his children to make a difference. And I know that you see it the same way. You know, we know the one who could set the captives free. We know how powerful God's word and his presence. And I always think people ask us, you know, how do you set up your programs when you take in such broken people with such histories? How can you believe it? But we've seen it time and time again. 
You create a space for people to hear God's word and be in his presence, and God does it, right? The pressure's off of us. It's all about God. We're just creating that space for him. Um, So with that, though, I am so excited about this new partnership with ARC and where we're heading, and um, it got got, uh, fire under our feet to hurry up and get ourselves uh, properly branded. And for those of you who have started Dream Centers along the way before we were properly branded, I'm sincerely sorry that we didn't have more resources to help you get started <laughs> in all that you're doing, but we're trying to fix that now so that, uh, like Joel was, uh, Joel Steen was saying, that um, he started at the 40-year mark based on what his dad um, had created. And so I, we're hoping that as we finish this package for you and hopefully take a lot of your questions away and maybe prevent some of the mistakes that we made, uh, you start at the 25-year uh, mark because the Dream Center turns 25 this September. Can you believe it? And so, so yeah, we're still in the midst of creating everything, creating all of the manuals, um, yeah, giving you the step-by-step how to do it, and then also create all of the, I'm learning all these new terms and stuff, but all your marketing and media needs, your website needs, your, again, to hand you a package to be like, here, I hope we take all that guesswork away just to make you that much stronger and faster in all that you're doing. So uh, be ready for that. Uh, expect that to come out, roll out soon. And there'll be options for you if you're not looking to start a whole entire Dream Center, but you want to take elements and expressions of the Dream Center, maybe want do one or two of the types of ministries that we do. Oh, we'll have um, elements of that for you as well. And so I'm really, really excited about where we're heading as a Dream Center. You know, when Tommy and Matthew started the Dream Center 25 years ago, they didn't realize how much it would catch on like wildfire. And I love my father-in-law's heart because with his pastor schools over the um, 40 decades, or four decades, decades. sorry, 40 decades, four decades. um, Age as well. Yeah. you know, his heart was always, you like what I'm doing? You see what I'm doing? You want to take it? This is awesome. This is God's work. Go take it and run with it. And I love that heart. That's the right heart because this is the work of God. We can't take ownership of it. And I, I love that. But at the same time, we didn't realize it would grow so fast. So we were not prepared for that. But I, I recently learned that um, Truett Cathy, who started Chick-fil-A, he didn't brand until he had been 20 years in. So we're on time. We're on time. Um, But yeah, I hope that ends up being a huge resource to you and also helps you uh, get off the uh, ground running uh, faster. Um, Because we have learned a lot over the years and we've made a lot of mistakes. We, like Matthew said, we had a passion for everything and tried to start everything. We had um, some ministries that didn't work so well. We had this one guy uh, who started a ministry called Kicking Devil Booty Daily. And he had a big truck that had those words on it. And he just KBDB, went out. Yeah. yeah, KBDB. And he was very proud of that. He was, you know, he was a fun character out there doing ministry. And uh, we also had another ministry um, called Road Warriors. Now, we should have thought about this before, but he had this really ugly brown van with no windows. And his ministry oh, was to help cars that were stuck on the road. Like he'd pull up if he, there was yeah, a, fix something, right? yeah. But can you imagine this mom with her kids and this brown ugly car comes driving up with no windows? You'd be like, stay away from my car, right? That, that, that ministry didn't work. So we've learned a lot over the years, but um, yeah. So we hope to, that you can glean from it. But the heart is just whatever, whatever our passion made up for our lack of experience in those years. And um, so I came along the Dream Center in 1996. I was 17 with braces. And uh, Matthew and Tommy, they had just acquired the actual Dream Center building. And so we were holding our church services in the ugly old gym. It was beat up, smelly, no AC, and all the homeless people made it smell so bad. Um, And I came and was my second time attending a service, and Matthew's 22 on the stage leading the service. 90% homeless. 90% homeless. And uh, 
so it's during that part of the service after worship when you, you know, say, turn to the person next to you and say hello. And he jumps off the stage, comes straight to me, says, hi, I'm Matthew. Do you want to go out tomorrow night? Uh, yeah. Outreach 101. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the class. Matthew is just like his mother. Yeah. <laughs> it took me like five years after I married. I'm like, wait, I wonder if he did that a lot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, slim pickings with all the homeless. And I was the one little blonde sticking out. Um, uh, that's, you're, you're much better than that. Give yourself more credit. Uh, but anyways, I want to encourage you with this is that I had a huge passion for God, and I wanted to serve God so desperately, but I did not have an outlet for it. I knew I was not a senior pastor, and I didn't want to be a secretary. I wanted a place to be used of God, and when you create these outreaches, you are bringing out the purpose behind all the people who are around you, and people are desperately looking to be used of God, and you're creating that vehicle for them. And so um, everywhere that we've seen, you know, when people get a taste of ministry outreach, they get hooked. They can't wait to go back out there and do it again. And so don't fear that you're not going to have the army that you need to accomplish what you need to need to do again. And, um, and what's beautiful about outreach for everybody. There's, for those who love to talk to people who've never met a stranger, there's something for them. But those who are, who are maybe more shy but want, still want to be used by God, they can bag the food. You know what I mean? And that's what's beautiful. Everyone gets to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And um, so back when I was 18, I started our mobile food banks. And that was because at the time we had a, a food bank on campus, but people in need had to come to us. But we got a call from a social worker who said there was family need of food. And so I took some of it to that apartment. And it was a rundown, smelly apartment. And uh, I walked in. It was a mom with eight kids. She was just about 25. And you could tell the kids had different fathers. And they were just in their underwear and diapers. And as soon as we walked in, uh, the kids jumped in our arms and started eating raw zucchini. I thought, oh, how hungry are these kids? They're eating raw zucchini. And it was in that moment when I was face to face with a hungry child that I knew just how passionate I was about making a difference in this area. And so, um, and, you know, like I'd watched uh, those very sad commercials about the kids starving around the world, and they bring me to tears, but not to action. It wasn't until I was in the home, smelling the smells, hearing the cries, feeling the fear, um, that I knew, oh, I can't know this is happening and not do something about it. And that's where I'd like for you, when, whenever you're seeking out what outreach should I start, wait for that trigger moment where you think, mm -hmm. I can't know this is happening without doing something about it, because then you're working out of passion. And you work completely when you're working out of passion. It pushes you beyond your fears, beyond your limits. It was work that doesn't feel like work. And you can't wait to make a difference. And so many times I think in ministry, we think God's going to call me to do something that I don't enjoy. No, that's not our God. He's a good investor. He knows that if he's called you to do something you enjoy, he's going to get that much bigger return on what he's doing. And so um, I had no clue what I was doing in terms of food ministry. I'd never been a part of a food ministry my whole life. But I was so shocked as soon as I started myself, God started opening the doors. And we have never at the Dream Center had to pay for food uh, to give out in the streets. There is so much out there. And again, uh, what you can be excited about stepping out is knowing if God's asked you to do it, he wants it done more than you, yeah. right? So there's so much confidence in moving forward in anything that God has called you to do. And so also we've started um, a foster care intervention program because we knew uh, we found out that more than 50% of kids in foster care actually have parents who love them but lost them due to poverty. Now, I assumed everyone was there because of abuse or neglect. 
I had no idea a mom could love her kids or a dad could love their child, do their personal best and lose their kids. And so it was one of those trigger moments, like we can't know this is happening and not do something about it. So we started our foster care intervention program. And I remember one time, our, and what we did was we contacted our local uh, DCFS office, so that it's a church we can help with um, basic needs, food, clothing, diapers, baby items, furniture, um, moral support. We have GED class. We can help these moms. And um, at first they were leery. They didn't believe we'd be willing to stand by our offer. But, you know, it just takes time to show that you're faithful. And we get calls every single day of brand new family referrals, parents about to lose their kids only because of poverty. And typically it's domestic violence cases where a mom had to take her children and run and left everything behind. And now she's trying to rebuild her life. And there was one time our truck was pulling up and the mom came screaming out and she's trying to hold the truck doors open because she thought we were there to take her children to find out God's answer. Can I tell you, it's, you know this, it's such an exciting way to live out your faith being a superhero on behalf of God, right? Right? We get to be superheroes. We get to change, uh, change you know, generations to come. And so we're, like Matthew said, we're, we're giving the gift of time because so many of these people, they're always going to be on a roller coaster of poverty unless you give them a chance to really heal, grow, uh, earn a education or a life skill, right? And so that we decide because we're not to band-aid an issue. We want them living that abundant life that God has given them. And we know that. We can see that. And Matthew always says, dream for people who can't dream for themselves, right? We can see it. We can believe for that. And that's what our hope is in all that we do. I could talk forever, but I'll stop now. That's so good. And uh, isn't that awesome? I think you um, you need a healthy tension when you start a dream center of visionaries who are touched by circumstances in the world and just want to step out. Let's go. Let's reach homeless families. And let's start, and let's figure out a way to go. And then you need a, a ministry committee when you start of people who help the visionary understand that you need details to really help people. Like for me, for example, I'm like, let's let's take in because I spent um, 24 hours on no 48 hours on Skid Row living homeless, and I saw families and children. It was the most alarming experience of my life spending two days homeless on Skid Row to understand what was really going on in my city. And in that process, I saw children, families, homeless, living up against walls. It was, it was staggering. And so I, I called Kelly, who runs our ministry, um, day-to-day ministry stuff. I said, Kelly, we have got to have a floor for, I mean, a room for homeless families. I, got, I met to a family. I got to take this family in. We got to do something about it. And we, had a, we wanted to start it two years down the road, but the need just gripped my heart. I said, can we start the family fro- program, like, immediately? She's like, when? I'm like, in the four hours. Can we take in this no structure, no plan, no GED programs in place, none of all the stuff that we do now, you know, where every 30 days families live with us are up for review and we we renew the 30 days, you know, if they're getting their kids in school and doing all the things, um, they can stay as long as they need to, as long as they're passing these checkpoints of being a responsible parent. But back then it was just like, you take in this family and and the answer was yes, because it always is with our ministry team. They just, they're not there to stand in the way of the vision. They're in the way to like provide blessing. And so behind my back, I didn't know it. I went back, and I, and I saw a whole floor open, and I said, I, you know, we just need one room. And they opened up a whole floor, 25 rooms for a hospital building. I said, why did you do it? They said, because we knew that once you start talking about homeless families, you would never stop. So we decided to open up 25 rooms instead of one. And so I would like, Kelly, at 2.20, we're going to start questions and answers and for the final few minutes here. Um, Kelly, would you come Can you possibly... In six to seven minutes, give an overview, almost like they're walking through what they would see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Um, well, it's so awesome to be with you guys, and it's so inspiring to be in a room full of great pastors and visionaries, like Pastor Matthew was saying. And really, my job is just to try to do my very best to carry out his vision, their vision for what they want to see in their city. And it's the greatest honor and privilege of my life to be able to do that. And so I think the key to me uh, being longevity at the Dream Center, I've been there almost 19 years, um, is because I recognize... Um, this isn't my own thing. And I've never tried to mistake me trying to build something for myself. It's always been to honor God and to honor their vision. And I think pastors, you need to look for people like that, that are willing to lay their life down for your vision. Cause that's where you're going to get that longevity. But every day at the dream center is a miracle. It truly, truly is. I mean, you've heard pastor Tommy talk about the financial miracles, which are um, immeasurable, but I get to see the miracles of God happen in people's lives every single day. So every day, 24 hours a day, 7365 days a year, people show up needing help from the Dream Center. They show up um, sometimes in orange jumpsuits, still handcuffed with police officers and walking them in. Sometimes they're dropped off. We just had a family two weeks ago get dropped off by immigration. They didn't speak English. They had only been in the country for a few days. And that had never happened to us before, but they had an immigration folder with the, the sticky note with the Dream Center address on the front of it. And they were just told to go there and they'll help you. And that's the part of staying in the community. When you stay long enough, you build the relationship with your city to where they know, just send anyone we don't know what to do with to the Dream Center and they'll help them somehow. And that's kind of what it does. And so we see people show up with needs and they show up with their kids. They've been living in their car one time I picked up a family who was living in a, a laundry room uh, without any heat, air, running water, and placed there by the Department of Children and Family Services. That's how big the crisis and can be for homeless families. Um, veterans will drop by, and that's how we start our veterans program. I mean, and so people are showing up because the need is endless. But the, the thing that I think sets us apart is that we do have those beds that we can say, come on in, come take a, come take a shower, come get a meal get a bed, and then we talk to them about Jesus. So everything that we do, we don't ever do a good act for the sake of doing a good act. We do a good introduce them to the, the God who can actually make a difference in their life and give them hope for their future. And so that's really what we're all about. So um, really what he says is really true. We never really have a, a plan going into something. It's usually a need gets uncovered. And then we work really hard to structure around that need. So um, my job is to try to make sure that everyone lives from day to day, that they, you know, they stay alive. Um, that's really, if we everyone stays alive that day, then it has been a good day. Um, you know, our programs are very, very structured on purpose. So we want to prove with long-term success, right? So a lot of times what separates the people coming to the Dream Center for help and you and I as a support system. They don't have anyone to turn to, whereas a lot of us, if we were in their situations, we probably would have someone to call. So that's really the main difference. So we try to structure their lives because they've never had anyone that has cared to teach them the very simple things that you and I take for granted. You know, personal hygiene, how to clean thing, how to cook a meal, how to create a budget, how to read or write. You know, the things that you and I take for granted, they a lot oftentimes they've been caught in this cycle since they were kids themselves. And so when you hear their stories, you're like, no wonder this has happened to them, right? And so what we really try to do at the Dream Center is we try to look at their humanity first and their needs second. 
oftentimes our natural bent is to look at their need first and then their humanity. Oh, well, she's a prostitute. Well, actually, she's a woman that's been trafficked. Oh, that guy's just a drug addict. Actually, he's a man that has an addiction problem, right? That person, oh, they're just homeless. Actually, that's a, a couple who are experiencing and living homeless lives, right? And so we have to give them back their humanity. And when we give them back their humanity, they're going to listen to what we have to say. And they're going to be willing to do whatever it takes to get back on their feet. And that's really what we've seen more than anything is the resiliency of people. People are resilient. They can go through some of the worst, most horrific things, and they can come back strong. They can come back excited about life. They can get their education. They can get back on their feet, you know, and and you would look at them a few years down the road after a time has passed. Pastor Matthew said it perfectly. The gift of time is the key. You cannot expect people to change overnight or in 30 days, 90 days. That will not work. Um, so, But you look at them two or three years down the road, and you don't even know you don't even remember what they were like when they first came in. The information is is amazing, and it's because you've given them, you've taken the time to give them structure, to give them boundaries, to give them, you know, kind of like a set of rules of life. You know, not just for the sake of rules and there's consequences, and we're not afraid to to dismiss someone. We're not afraid to say, you know what, you can't do that and stay here. We're not afraid, you know, because we have to realize we can't help everyone. So we've got to make sure my most important jobs is to be the best steward of those 555 beds of people that are receiving free help from the Dream Center. Um, And so I want to make sure that those beds are filled with people that are really wanting to change, that are wanting the help that we have to offer them. And so I'm not afraid to say, I'm sorry, you have to leave, or we're not going to be able to help you unless you do this. Unless So those kinds of things you'll have to put into to place and we're happy to share everything that we've learned with you at any point we'll give you all of our paperwork so that you don't have to, to um and you can teach us back so if i give you something you have to give me something back that's the deal um but yeah and we have teams that come out and serve we have individuals that come we've even had uh, staff people even shadowed our rehab programs for a day or two and find out like what it's like to get the regular flow of the recovery program so all of that yes I was just going to say so many really funny stories coming out of these. She was saying some things that triggered some thoughts. We had a pregnant woman selling her urine because that's a thing that they do. You get tests, you know, if you're pregnant, it's a way to raise money for your, your programs. But, um, and then, and they, you know, this other, she was working with this one family. They were living on the homeless family program and uh, she, everybody has a mentor and they're kind of walking them through and they meet with them every week and make sure they're on track for what's their plan that was set up. And this man had a business idea. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so she connected her, him with one of our businessmen in the church. And so they got together and they were going to meet and it turned out he wanted to start a pr- pornography site. So... <laughs> You can't be surprised when the lost is lost. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think one of the best things that we do is um, we really try not to just minister to people's need. We try to minister to people's potential and uh, what they can become. Um, the need is what, the, what governments typically do, but potential is what we do as, a, as a how, the people of God. So we really get to that place of asking them extraordinary questions about their future that are beyond anything they've ever thought before. Like, what is your vision? What do you want to see your life become? And, and years down the road, and just all this incredible visionary stuff. And so we, we've been in it for so long. The people don't look at the Dream Center ever as a homeless shelter. They don't see it that way. Um, we got the best of the best. We have pastors who are here today who come in and preach for us on Thursday night. Who gets that, right? Who gets that kind of impartation? 
We have an unfair advantage, I think, being a church because of all the great relationships we're able to leverage and keep people inspired in the program. But um, it's 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 one of those things when you're dealing with a 24-7 ministry. Um, I, I go to the elevator every day in my office, and on the 14th floor that opens up, I look out. People are lined up like I've never seen before. With a drug epidemic, it used to be we were comfortably full. Now people are lined up, stacked to the elevator I, from the moment that you get off, trying to fill out an application to get their lives back together again. And it's not just people in Skid Row, not people in America. They're coming from um, suburbs. And, and when they all get in the program together, you'll be shocked in recovery. You get people from South gangs with people that were skinheads. And, but when they go into rehab together, somehow they unify and they get along so good because the target of their life becomes their addiction. They rally around what they're all commonly struggling to overcome. And I have seen more unity and healing in our recovery program. I, I don't see any fighting or bickering. I don't see any really ever racial contention. There's something about when all, when all these amazing men and women come together, make a decision to make a step in the right direction that just seems to unify everything. And so, you know, that, that's what goes on, in, you know, in the life of the Dream Center. But, but don't be afraid to get started. Don't be afraid. You might be the expert that the world has been waiting on in a certain area by just obeying the passion in your heart as smart as you can, but then just going. Yeah, a lot of people will say, well, how, how did you, why did you go to L.A.? It may surprise you to know that we didn't go to over there to build a dream center. We went over there to build a church. But we learned that before we had to get people saved, but it was hard to keep them. And we learned that we had to get them away from the drugs, the pimps, prostitution. We had to get away from all of that. And that's how we started those 16 houses to get it. And finally, we realized that if we were going to build a church, we had to build the church, which was the people. And so that's how the Dream Center evolved. How did all these ministries evolve? I'll tell you how. We didn't sit down one day and say, we're going to do this, 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 this. But we started out with just one simple ministry. And then one day, another opportunity came. And we said, we're going to go down that rabbit trail because that might be God. And that opened up another rabbit trail. We thought, well, let's just go down there and see if that's God. I'm going to disappoint you, but a lot of you thought maybe we had a big vision. We saw it all before our eyes. No way in the world. I believe the way God has opened up doors in my personal life is I saw an opportunity. And I said, this could be God. Let's see. I provided for him and open up doors, and open another. And now, in our, in our church, I know our church, we have 260-some-odd ministries. They have about the same in L.A. But all those came out of just, you started with what you can do, and you specialize on it. But like he said, you not understand it all, but you can study it. There's an Internet. There's, you can be an authority on anything you want to and come to you as the expert. So that's a great point. Well, you know, we, we've lived um, under the concept of really man's need is God's call for the day. And that's kind of the way that we've always lived, responding to the call of God being whatever needs in front of us. And that, that, that's been a great solution to the ministry and, and a great way. We, we, I forgot the one point I was going to make, and that's this. I was running through the town one day. I was running through Skid Row. I was getting ready for my, my run across the desert. And as I ran across, I saw people in the street corner just screaming out, 
they've been turned out by the mental health group because there was no money. Insane people screaming out. I ran through Skid Row and I smelled human waste. Terrible. Because people had no place to go. And I got depressed. That was at the early days of the Dream Center. I thought, God, how are we going to be able to build a Dream Center here? There's no money. There's no jobs. The fathers have forsaken the family. Even the great black churches with their great black pastors, God had blessed them in such a way that they had built churches outside the inner city, which I don't blame them. But they were gone. The fathers were gone. How are we going to build a great church? If you'll reach people that nobody else wants, I'll give you people that everybody wants. If you attend the Dream Center, you'll see the lepers, you'll see the untouchables, people sleep under bridges, the hurting people. But if you squint and look real good, you'll see the, the beautiful people of Beverly Hills and Hollywood. More of these celebrities come to the Dream Center than any church in town because by finding needs and filling them. I'm telling you, God will send you what you need because the world's tired of the superficial. And let me tell you, every great church, that's the way the Dream Center started in L.A. because I felt our church in Phoenix was now becoming affluent and blessed. And we needed a cause that was bigger than us. So we picked the most hurting city in the world, L.A. And by the way, in doing so, we cured our church back in Phoenix. Your church will be protected if you'll reach out for the hurting people. God will protect because he's a debtor, no man. And I would also say when you're speaking to your church, I, you need to just speak to them on a level of where you want them to be, not where they are. So when you, when you stand up and talk to them at church, don't say things like at the congregation, like, uh, man, we just need to love people more. Just tell them. I'm so glad that we're a church that welcomes people. Who I'm so glad that we love gang members in our church. I'm so glad that we're not, you know, maybe like others who, I mean, just who would just kind of close our hearts off to people and um, and try and try to segregate different communities, not bring people into the house of God. And I've always learned that you don't build and 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 chastise the people for um, what you don't have. You speak of who they are, even though they don't know who they are. And you just tell a vision. That's why every service I have a testimony except for four minutes and talks about what God's doing in their life. Um, always keep the vision in front of them. And it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, what draws people to the church of reaching hurting people and homeless, sometimes they can get used to it. And it will actually be the thing that draws them away. Convenience draws them back to a convenient church. But um, what, what I learned is this. Be, if God's called you for missions, build your church on missions. And he'll send people from the outside who will come to your church and who will drive into church. Um, I, I thought in L.A. nobody would ever come to our church outside of downtown L.A. And I was fine with that because the rest of my life is, is going to be spent in the trenches. But I realized there was a generation of people from all over L.A. that would drive downtown and want to rebuild something from the very, very beginning. And so that's what we've seen. Let me just tell you this. He would never tell you this, but I will. God has blessed Caroline and Matthew in such a way they become the authorities on many situations. Recently, one of the leading politicians said, Matthew is really the pastor of L.A. We're right downtown, and they come to him, and they come to Caroline, to the Dream Center. When there's a need or a hurt or a current event, they go right downtown. And that's why I think that a great church, the greatest church, ought to be built downtown. 
Really, that's where a church ought to be built. Any questions? <laughs> yes, go ahead. Well, if it's a ministry you're already running in your church, obviously, you don't want to duplicate it. But if it's something that you're not doing as a pastor, I have the luxury of sending it to the ministry committee to find out how we can make it work. So most of my response to everything is yes. I mean, yes, I believe we can do it. I have a desire to do this. Yes, I think it can, it can happen. So my job is to say yes to everything, and their job is to figure out if it really is a good fit for the ministry. And um, so I think in a culture, a permission-giving church where the leadership is saying yes a lot, it provides the opportunity for congregation members to dream a lot, to bring people to church, to do different types of things. Um, but, yeah, I think there's um, tremendous potential. If the pastor's heart is in it, that's what's really going to work the most, though. And the pastor's heart will usually be in it when he sees fruit of people that have been doing a ministry for so long in the church already. And they've somehow found a way to bring it under the under the church, uh, those are the ones you tend to smile upon because you see kind of the fruit of their lifestyle. So, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, you want to add anything to that? The church and the pastor. Um, and if they're open to it, I think they'll support it. Um, but I will say outreach programs are so much cheaper <laughs> than residential programs. And um, you're waste, talking waste, a completely, waste. yeah, totally the, different realms in terms of cost. I'd like to say a word about that. You know, as a pastor, when we started the Dream Center, I told my church that we were not going to give one penny of support to the Dream Center. That shocked you, doesn't it? And here was a reason. I didn't want the church feel that I was taken away from their church to start something that I felt a burden for. There had been nothing wrong with it. Now, my church went around behind my back, and they gave to the Dream Center. We we have given more from our church than any church in America, but it's, it's because they went around me to do it on their own. So I knew my church. I didn't want them to thank the church by going over there because then there were no campus churches. You understand that? Or else this would probably have been one of our church plants. Amen. We'd be counting in our church attendance because they run thousand and it sure would look good now. Amen. But I we didn't we didn't know about church planning, anything about it then. They weren't in existence. We just went to start a church over there. But here's what I found. I think it's wonderful if a church wants to support. It's not going to be the key to that church going. Everything rises and falls. The old cliche on leadership. You can put money into a thing and it will fail. Or you can send a man or woman with a call of God on their life that's not dependent on anybody whatsoever. And they will find the resources and make it go. So whether, and that can be an excuse along the way. If God's called you, you go, whether you have anybody behind you or not. And I mean, you find ways to do it, and God will raise it up. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but it's just the truth. Everything rises and falls upon the person that has a burden to do it. But what about um, are, are there are there are there grants that you've been able to buy into and and is there like a site or some resource that 
we could look at to be able to find out what's there to leverage. Uh, yeah, we do have a grants department uh, that fills out grants all year long. The thing with, and they're great, and a lot of people with big foundations, they give as a grant. Um, so yes, you'll want to um, put that in place. And again, when we create there um, of these kinds of opportunities, yes, or? yes, and then uh, they're very specific, and each one is going, every grant is going to have to be written in such a specific way based on that one grant and what they're looking for, uh, which is why it takes full time staff to accomplish that. Um, but and the thing with grants too, you might they might say yes to file it, you'll get it an answer in three, four months if it's a yes or no, and then it'll take another six months to get that money. So um, it's a volume game. It's a volume. The more you write, the more, you know, with anything, for every 10 you get it one yes or something like that. But don't quote me. Um, Where can we find that list? Google nonprofit grants. Oh, okay. And it'll, it'll, it'll pop up. You're just going to want to look and see if, because as a faith-based organization, you may not qualify for a lot of grants. So you're going to have to look for grants specifically friendly Walmart, to faith-based organizations. Mm -hmm. the, the, um, one of the things about grants, too, is um, some of the best grants that come in are people in your church who know somebody who has a foundation. Um, we, we can shoot in the dark into every company that has a foundation and just find out what their values are. For example, Chick-fil-A has a set of, like, or, you know, foster care, all that. So if you have ministry in that direction, you go to that, or Walmart, different places. So you can literally find any single corporation that has a foundation. And if you're, what you do, you know, vibes with it, then you send it. But the best ones are always the ones that you know of a friend or a family who has a small business and a connection to a grant who's already got a foot in the door in that department. So we used to go from the shotgun approach to many grants to now we're in the position of peer-to-peer uh, -peer fundraising, of finding people that we know who have connections into these companies that become a much better usage of your time than firing away 300 and hope to get three. And which I found that the some of the worst grants that you can get are from the government. That's true. I went to Washington, D.C., and I lobbied with a lobbyist, and I went from senator to senator, and we got a grant for $400,000. But they required so many employees, their employees. their employees, and we had to pay them the highest wages. When it came down to it, there was no money, and it wasn't worth the hassle. And sometimes they put restrictions on whether they can preach the gospel. There are some that will let you do it, but... I would say the, the best ones are those. And the individuals that you find in your city that you take down and you give them a tour and you walk them through, those are the ones that pan out the best. Yeah, I just have. watch for the reputation of companies and what they value. And if anything you do is in line with that, then I would just go after it. Okay. And then my other question is, is there, is there a, a conference or, or something that you would suggest sending a director of, of a center like yes. this Yes, well, I think we have something better than that. We have our short-term missions, um, and that's an entire week. People can come and experience and live at the Dream Center. Um, if you are sending a director and not like a youth group, you know, volunteer team, um, I believe would really be able to help you. Is also part of where we're going with the network is actually going to help people to accomplish that on a very practical way, where they will just learn one thing if they're passionate about it, or learn two things about it, or be a full-fledged Dream Center. So that is going to be happening very, very quickly and um, in partnership. You'll hear a little bit more down the pipeline. But in the meantime, that's not to say that if you don't give us a call and send someone down there, we would be honored to have them on the floors a few days until the formula is set up. We, we've been operating this way for so long, so we'll, do, we'll keep doing it. But um, we would love to be able to have someone come down from your ministry and just spend some time with us. That's what I'm telling you. That's where it's going to happen. And by the way, 
you may not know, but all these dream centers that we have, 300 of them through it that we know of, are people that came on a short-term vision, caught the vision, just saw it, and went back and did it. And this is what you find out. You don't have to convince people, especially young people, that that's what they should do. There's something in them. They want to do it. They just want to do it. All you got to do is just, like Caroline said, create space for them to serve. Anybody else? How can we learn more about this emerging network that you're creating? Is there like an email you can get on? Uh, yes. Tori, please. Hi, you can email me, ttownley at dreamcenter.org or dcnetwork at dreamcenter.org. We have a flyer at the booth. Um, we have a Dream Center booth um, down by the theater. So come see us. And we've see. been spend, we've been actually taking close to a year putting everything together for the first time in our life, almost a year of effort into having every program in place to where we can really function. So we've never taken this time on any, much time on anything. So grants and the fundraising and all of that information on that. What was the moment that you guys transitioned from maybe multiple houses, um, different facilities to the hospital? Like what brought that moment about? Uh, well, the hospital, what brought about that was we came after a very tough time in LA. We had the earthquake and the riots and there was a lot of devastation in, in the city as far as, um, you know, uncertainty. And what happened was people were leaving L.A. at that time. It was actually one of the first times people were leaving the city. And uh, so we saw a for sale sign on the building, and we seized the opportunity to kind of come in at a time where people were leaving. And when we saw that hospital, it's an amazing story. The Catholic Church uh, owned it. They were going to sell it to Paramount for $16 million. They sold it to us for $3.9 million instead because they wanted to leave behind a legacy of serving. And I really believe that God used... Um, our church, at that time, there was a lot of horrible things going on. There were, um, the police department was going in, breaking the legs of gang members. They were going in, hiring these people, um, literally, literally to do torture and things. It was unrest between the police, unrest between the neighborhood. And God just sent us there right in the middle of a very difficult time to bridge the gap in that community in a, in a way that we've never seen um, really kind of justice prevail. And so um, there will be times and moments, there will be moments of economies that that tend to drop or people start stop investing. Like, for example, Doug Garrisek, a good friend that I know in Ohio now, he's, he's in the Rust Belt, and a lot of things are folding up. And now he's going in, and he's getting as much property as he can to start dream centers in a moment where there's great vulnerability and openness. And so that's when we seized in on the opportunity to buy a big building during a time where a lot of people were uncertain and scared to invest. That's the really great time to come on in. All right, guys, uh, we're run out of time here, and but we're has this been good? Yeah. All right, it's been incredible, and so we're we're just grateful for these guys and just just the investment you've made, not only just in the in the network, but also in so many churches all across the United States, and uh, especially us here at Highlands. We're just grateful for you guys, and so I, I'm gonna ask Brother Tommy if you'll just close us in prayer. Would you just pray over these guys as they go out to start new ministries and uh, and make a difference? Yes. Our precious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for people that have a heart for God, a heart for the hurting. God, you were always moved when people's hearts were touched with compassion. And Lord, I remember several years ago when talking to Brother O. Robert, he would visit me for a week every year. And he told me one time that he always had greater miracles when he was moved with compassion than when he wasn't. That was when he had the greatest miracles. And Father, we know 
that you were moved with compassion as you looked over the city and you saw them as sheep without a shepherd. In our cities, that's where they are right now. They're without shepherds. They're without fathers. They're without leadership. But God, you've raised up a group of people here at this place that want to do something for you, that want to alleviate human suffering, that want to reach out and help people that are in dire need. And I pray, dear God, that you'll give them witty inventions and great ideas. I pray, dear God, that you will send people into their lives that are able to help them with this vision. But most of all, Lord, I pray that you will anoint them with a soul anointing, that when they go into that neighborhood, God, they take with them an oar of the power of God that is there to set the captive free. We thank you for this great group of people and for the joy of meeting them today. And we want to do ministry with them. We want to do life with them, Lord. So thank you for the union that we feel here today. And may they go out and do great exploits for the glory of God exceedingly above anything they've even heard about from us today. In Jesus' great name, because you said there's a power that is working within us, and that is your Holy Spirit. So we go in power in Jesus' name. Amen.